Hello and welcome back to Redirected. My name is Andrew East, and this is a show where we sit down and talk with the wild twists and turns that life can throw at us, whether it's in our career or our personal life. We are sitting down and talking with people who have made it through these unexpected events well uh, in order to glean some wisdom and also hear some pretty entertaining stories. And today we're actually continuing our Forbes 30 Under 30 series where we're sitting down and talking with people who are redirecting the future. Our guest today is Amar Bendukwala, and he is the co-founder and CTO at Coder.com. So his story is amazing. I really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, he started in the video game realm and uh, was creating these servers for Minecraft. Had a really nice little uh, career there at an early age. And it was through that that he met his co-founders, Kyle and John, uh, before they even entered high school. So they were still really young. And after high school graduation, they began working on the developer tool that they uh, wished they had when they were building all these things. And so that's how Coder.com formed. Coder aims to make software development more efficient, and they have more than 6 million downloads of their open source software and $14 million in funding. Anyway, I think once you listen to Amar, you will not be surprised uh, at his success, and I appreciate him sitting down and having this conversation with me. If you want to learn more about Coder.com and what Amar and team are up to, I will link information about that down below. But before we jump into it, please subscribe to the show and also give it a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Without further ado, I bring you Amar Bandakwala. Amar, thanks so much for joining, man. I understand this is your first podcast, so I appreciate you taking one for the team and joining me here today. It's a true pleasure to meet you. It's a pleasure to meet you, too. It's a pleasure to be here. Did I hear you say that I'm the first football player you ever met? Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, I guess like professional. Wow, I'm honored, dude. I'm going to try to, you know, do the whole... <laughs> squad justice here not mess it up but uh i also know this may or may not um you know i i, I don't know if i'm gonna be the best podcast host for your first podcast but I'll, I'll do my my best here um i want to start off if you wouldn't mind i like to kind of give people the context of where you grew up and and how you got interested in doing what what you've been doing. I know you started coding when you were like 13 years old, but what got you into that? Even talking about maybe what your parents did, if you could kind of set the foundation. Yeah. Yeah. The foundation for me is probably like from an early age, I was super academic. Um, and I sort of like had this urge to just skip grades basically, and just try to like get out of school as fast as possible and start doing things. So that's kind of like a pretty big double-edged sword, potentially, potentially a mistake, but I ended up skipping two grades pretty early on in life. So I ended up getting into high school at the age of 12. And uh, that's sort what? of you up socially, right? <laughs> and so like, I'm in high school, I'm just like some like 12 year old kid. And I'm not, I'm not really good at like making friends or anything. And so, you know, very naturally, I just sort of like fell into the computer. And like computers just like became like my entire world. And uh, you know, like my life probably from ages 12 to like 17 was just like being on the computer 10 to 12 hours of the day, coming home from school at 4 p.m., being up until 4 a.m., just like coding, just hacking around, doing random stuff and uh, just like learning basically. Hmm. And uh, I didn't really have like a vision to like make money or make a business or anything. I just sort of like computers. And then, you know, when I was like age 18 or something, we, we decided to start this company and it was sort of just like, I guess a surprising thing that all the success that we've had since. Uh, by the age of 18, did you already graduate college, maybe with a, a graduate degree, master's degree, something like that? No, no, no. So, 
I was uh, I was really terrible academically, basically after I got into computers, and so because uh, you know I was up until like four a.m. and then like I wake mm-hmm. up at like six a.m. to go to school, so I was like just like sleeping through the, the classes, like barely getting any homework done. I just like didn't really really care, and yeah. um, I started making money also in high school, and so like I like really didn't care after I started making money. Did uh, well first of all I just this is our first time meeting, but I do have to disagree with you when you say, I, I don't know if you're speaking past tense or present, but you said you're not good at making friends. You seem oh. like a, a an extremely charismatic, you know, worthy of trust guy. So anyway, for whatever that's worth, but oh, I'm no, curious, the, uh, the life of like a coder, I, they do have this reputation of staying up all night and they're kind of rebellious and always kind of, you know, disheveled, if you will. Is that, is that like characteristic of just the person who's who's interested in this t- kind of thing, or do you know any like super clean cut like, hey, I'm on a normal schedule and I'm a coder, and I don't I don't have all these you know stereotypes that come along with it. That's a that's a great question, and honestly, finding people who don't like at least occasionally stay up all night working on something is pretty rare. Yeah, like I do feel like you sort of get into computing probably because you have some like strange past and i feel like a lot of people like the computer ends up being an escape early in life and then you sort of like discover the beauty of it and like the art of it i imagine that's very similar for like most people who consider themselves craftsmen or artists yeah so you ended up not going to school college yeah yeah i basically so i went to college for a little bit um like six months it wasn't really for me just like the pace and everything and uh and like i said like in high school i was actually making like a substantial income for a high schooler just basically doing computer stuff um and so like there really just like wasn't wasn't really a point for me and i was also extremely arrogant i was like i can just figure this out and so so i ended up just like dropping out we started working on the company and uh we were just like basically coding away and just like aimlessly for like a year and uh moved to austin got an office and it's just like slow slow growth slow and then very fast growth from there i guess so, but your love of computers stemmed from your experience in high school and not, not being able to, you know, feel like you're welcome in the social crowd or are your parents in computer science, anything like that? No, no. So they're both, uh, they're both aerospace engineers. And so that okay. definitely like gave me sort of a respect for science yeah, yeah. and like the, the foundations. Um, I don't know if they were like too happy with me being up all night, just doing stuff on my computer, hmm. <laughs> like in high school. I remember, I remember many times my dad walking in at like 5 a.m. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> but uh, they're, I think they're happy, they're happy with how it's turned out now. What was your first computer, Amar? Um, it was like uh, it was like a big desktop that uh, that I put together with my dad. Um, I very quickly broke that, and like I just like completely like messed up the software. And uh, probably my first like real computer that I really got into was after I, I messed up my first computer. And then I remember my dad wouldn't get me another Windows license, so I decided I'm gonna just use Linux, yeah. basically. And so then, like, I installed Ubuntu, and this was like this was like 10 years ago, so Ubuntu was like way more sketchy than it is now. And so basically, after that, I was just like tossed into like this like I have to figure out how everything works, or I can't even really operate on a day-to-day basis. Is that what kind of hooked you on this? Is like just the the never-ending potential for learning? Yeah, I mean, basically, like, I always sort of felt like I was at, like, the edge of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's also, like, sort of, like, being a naive kid, like, you just, 
you just, you just always feel like you're, you're about to figure it all out. <laughs> you just have to learn this like one more thing. You got it all figured out. And then eventually you've been doing it for 10 years and you've like learned like 10% of the problem area. Yeah. Uh, so you started making game servers when you were 13, I believe. Was this like Minecraft game servers or are, are you into that world at all? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty much it's pretty much all in the Minecraft space from an early age, and uh, this is probably one of the most interesting things because a lot of people don't know about how lucrative these Minecraft servers were back yeah. in those days. And so you can imagine these Skype chats with like hundreds of kids, ages like 12 to 18. These kids, on average, are pulling in maybe ten thousand dollars a month. They're not even paying taxes. They're they're just getting this money and they're just blowing it on just ridiculous ways. And so you have like this like economy of, of like teenagers basically just making money having a good time back in those days how do you how do you monitor so i i'm kind of a, a geek when it comes to youtube and like minecraft and really computer games as a whole i'm pretty naive to but from my experience with youtube i know that minecraft is just this whole world in and of itself and i was just kind of recently learning about the game servers which yeah. I don't even fully understand the concept. I guess it's like, I guess it's almost like a local, like a, a community of people that can play on that one server. But how do you monetize that? Yeah, yeah. YouTube's actually a massive part of it and a big part of the monetization strategy, especially back in those days. And so um, sort of like you would, you would create this server, which is like basically like a game within a game because Minecraft is so flexible. So mm -hmm. you can basically like make this own little like twist of the game and then like try to build a community around that. And the beauty of it was, is YouTubers back in those days had no idea what they were worth. And so you would like go to a YouTuber, you would pay them like maybe $400 to make a video about your server. And they would in turn bring, you know, four or $5,000 of, of basically just revenue back to your server. And, and so what would happen is the kids would come on and they would want to get special perks, special privileges. And then they would go to like your store and they would just pay for it. Basically very similar to like, how you pay for cosmetics in a game like Fortnite today, except you're just paying for like a mini game and this is going to some 13 year old bank account. Amar, this is wildly interesting. So you're saying you're 13, 14 years old and you figured out this business model of reaching out to YouTubers, paying them. You had this, whole, you were doing sales and outreach and all this orchestrating. How, I'm, I'm appalled at how you were able to figure this out. Like, what i mean i wish i could take credit for it but there's there's a large community of kids doing this stuff so like i wasn't like i mean i might have had some like novel um uh things that i did like with managing servers and sort of like the technology behind them, them but like yeah i mean there's there's a large community i mean there was like kids who who you would pay them hundreds of dollars an hour and they would just build you minecraft structures for your server um if there were kids that would build you these plugins they would build these little websites and so it was just like it was a whole economy and community what was um, your twist on what was your twist for the server i'm curious um i was i was like sort of considered like a system administrator so i like really understood linux well right and so like i could come in and basically make sure that a server would work for a very very large amount of players like thousands of players i could keep it online protected from denial of service attacks um so basically just more on like the scaling and then operation side of things Wow. Wow. It's so interesting because the ability to not, I, I, mean, I guess it's your skill set too that probably naturally led you down this path, but I've always had a hard time thinking about 
I guess to use the analogy of the gold rush, you know, like they say the people that made the biggest fortunes were the ones selling the shovels, not the ones actually looking for gold. Right. And it was like, yeah. you're the guy selling the shovels. I've always had a hard time having that mindset. I've always been like the, the one digging the gold. So it's like, it's just amazing that at such a young age, you were just that you had that type of insight. Um, but was this the world in which you met your co-founders for coder? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so they, they were running a server. I was running a server at the time. Um, their, their server probably revenued like $30,000 a month on average. Uh, my server revenue probably like $10,000 a month. And I just say that it's to get to scale for like how much money you're giving to people who have no clue how to spend money and like sort of like the havoc that can arise from that. And so I sort of met them and I was, I was helping them basically like scale their server and like just helping them get involved in the, in the, the Minecraft community, so to speak. And um, it was basically like, it was just super casual. We just like started hanging out on Skype. We started just working on different like projects together, even like outside of the Minecraft world, it was just like little like programming things and ideas, like peer to peer file sharing, like security companies, just random things. And so like, by the time we actually started this venture, we had known each other and we worked on stuff for probably two or three years. Wow. I'm, I'm really excited to get into Coder, but I'm curious, you brought this up several times. I, I think you said the habits that der are derived from making that much mo money and not knowing how to spend it. Is that what you said? Yes. <laughs> what, what, like expand on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like for me, that was like a big part of growing up. Um, so like, I guess one thing is like, it's sort of like, like, it's sort of like, um, creates distance between you and your parents because they can't, they can no longer use finances to leverage you because like you own your own stuff. You can go and like get a hotel room if you're ever like salty or something. You can just get like a cab and, and whatever. Um, I kind of felt like it sort of like increased my like arrogance and ego quite a bit as a kid. Cause I just like, I just like had way more money than any of my peers. So I would just do like ridiculous things. Like, like we would go out to a steakhouse and uh, in senior year high school, we just go to a steakhouse every day for lunch. I, I it's like a ridiculous concept <laughs> that I, I, I wouldn't even think about doing now. Um, <laughs> But, but, you know, like, I feel like that was like one of my first tastes of like, Hey, that like money doesn't really actually buy you happiness. Cause like, I sort of got to this thing of like making more and more money as a kid and then spending it all. And then like, not really like, it was like sort of being in a hamster wheel. Hmm. And, uh, and also just like, sort of like the, the, the ego risk of a lot of money sort of like making you feel like you're like a bigger person than you are. This is fascinating. I'm curious how long, how long would you say reflecting on that? it took you to adjust and reach this current mindset you have now, which seems to be more about balance, less about, you know, making money and spending money with such fluidity. How many years? Yeah. I mean, probably like, uh, after like, um, basically my server like died out around like the age of, uh, 16, 17. And I'd probably say like a year or two after that, I sort of just like came to, came to the realization, like, I don't want my life to just be like about, about like making a bunch of money mm. and just like being like a personality. Like I wanted to be about something that like gives like more like intrinsic feeling of goodness and fulfillment. And uh, like, I've identified that as like the art of the craft and like just doing good things for the world. Do you feel like you're achieving that with coder? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I definitely feel like we're achieving that here at, here at coder. If you don't mind, fill us in on what coder.com is. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Basically, we wanted to solve the biggest problem we could possibly solve. So as I mentioned, we were working on all these like various little projects, sort of like not really applying any discipline to 
to them, just, just like starting stuff and then stopping stuff. And uh, we basically came to this decision that like, if we want to really be successful, we really want to make something important, we have to stick to something. And even if it like has shitty times, we just have to like persevere for, for a very, very long amount of time. Hmm. And so this problem that we identified with Coder was, was, was it's pretty simple. It's basically just, we want to make developers happy and in creative flow 100% of the time. Like we want, we want the, the, the active development to just be this, like this joyous, happy activity where developers are never waiting on anything or nothing's breaking and, uh, sort of like really just trying to apply that and trying to like build products around that and keeping that like core to everyone that we hire and everything that we do is really give, give brought us, I guess, to where we are today. What do you mean by keeping the coder in flow? Yeah, yeah. So like, I guess flow is like this this concept that a lot of like artists and craftsmen refer to. It's like, um, like if you played like a video game, it would be like when you when you're right at the edge of like your skill in the video game, and it's super engaging, and you, you can't like get ripped away from it. And if someone does, you're like kind of like frustrated because you have all this context. Dude, <laughs> I love this man. Um, okay, what what are the things that prevent? So I I recently read a book called the war of art are you familiar with this no no i think you might enjoy it it's uh you've used several vocabulary words that that are similar but he talks about this idea of flow right and like when you're you're just kind of in your stride and your mind is you know beautifully dumping all of this creativity into whatever you're doing but he says he talks about resistance and how it can come in the form of you know many, many different forms of distraction or of get, like whatever it is that prevents you from hitting that for a coder. What are those forms of resistance and how does your, uh, your project solve that? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the forms of resistance, sort of the main ones that we've identified are waiting on things to complete. So like as a programmer, you're like writing code for like 15 minutes, having a great time. Then you like have to do a task. Now you're waiting for maybe, 20 minutes on a test and like that's going to be a massive disruption to your flow you're going to go on reddit you're going to go like mess around on facebook or I, I don't know like you're just going to like go fuck off for a while and that's going to like break you out of it so that, that's like the one big thing the other thing is when things break for no good reason and that and that really just happens all the time you're just you'll, you'll just be like writing code and there's be, be some some slight thing this really complicated computer environment that you're dealing with some really just small things somewhere that's like misconfigured and that's going to create this failure. And now you're on this, this, this like wild goose chase to find this little thing for hours. And so basically both of these two things, which also, as you might imagine, get really, really bad at large companies. Like if you're working at an organization, like if you're working at like an IBM or like a Walmart, like these kinds of issues are really, really massive. Those developers have a really, really hard time getting anything done. And so that that's like sort of where we found our stride is really like delivering this solution that minimizes those things by by a large degree to those larger enterprises and really like making those developers feel like they have the creativity of a developer working at a startup or in like a small group. Hmm. Do you view coding as an art? You know, that's that that's like a the definition of art is like such a philosophical thing. Um, I think I think if, if you define art as like something that you do for its own sake which is sort of my preferred definition that I would, I would describe most, most programming as an art, but I mean, you can certainly program for money and many people do, but the programmers that we hire, at least they program for the art of the intrinsic 
reward and the beauty of what they're making. How big is your team? So do you sell your software to Walmart or how does the exchange work? Yeah, yeah. So um, so our team's about 50 right now and we're also rapidly rapidly hiring and growing. Um, we, uh, we sort of, we sell software basically like around the enterprise markets. And so without getting specific customers like across the, the US government, like sort of in the military intelligence space and then um, and then right now we're, we have a large focus in the financial services, but 25% uh, of the Fortune 100 uses our free open source software. And so we have this, this like enterprise play now, this like commercialization, and we're like just getting to market with this, bringing this to as many people as possible and sort of like capturing what we've discovered with our open source. 25%? Yes. Oh <laughs> my gosh. It's pretty wild. It's, it was very, very surprising too. Like we. Like it might seem like we have a lot of foresight, but we actually don't have nearly as much foresight as we seem to. We just sort of like, like do things, and then and then I guess like we just sort of that that just like blew up that project, like it just absolutely blew up, and we really, I guess, kind of like struck gold there. So, coming from a guy who didn't necessarily enjoy the social aspect of high school, how is it for you managing a team of fifty? I know you have two co-founders, but what's that been like? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's like, so going from like programming, when the, when the company's like super small, you have like four people total. Like my job is basically to be a programmer and uh, like dealing with computer systems. And very quickly, you realize that, that like in order to have the most leverage, you have to be like, you now have to like engineer people as you're engineering code. And like, that was like a completed paradigm um, and like a massive, massive, massive shift for me, like psychologically and otherwise. Um, and it probably took me like, a year and a half to even feel like I was an absolute trash at, at managing people. <laughs> and uh, now now the paradigm has shifted again and it's like managing managers. And uh, I thought managing managers would be similar to managing people, but even that is like a whole like new paradigm because like you're, you're no longer you're really connected to the technology anymore. You're like just dealing with these like really complicated people problems and that's all you're dealing with. What tools have you used to learn? this new skill uh, you know i just feel like reading a crap ton of books is like the best way to learn because and there's two sides to that i mean one side is obviously like the business knowledge the other side is a lot of management is communication and being able to articulate what you're trying to say like being able to not be defensive and like all, all that stuff and so just like having a very wide vocabulary having a lot of different strategies to communicate things you can really just learn that from long form text so that, that, that's definitely like my recommendation for any, any manager. I would love to connect after and get, uh, get book recommendations that, that you've enjoyed. Oh yeah. I mean, I've, I definitely, I've got a ton, something else too, a little bit more on the weird side, Wikipedia pages. I love just like reading Wikipedia pages. Um, there's like this consistency in the English and structure in Wikipedia. So if you're really good at reading them, you can just consume massive amounts of knowledge very quickly. And probably like on a, on a very good Sunday for me would be a Sunday where I just read Wikipedia for hours going down a rabbit hole. <laughs> well, fill me in on your strategy when you digest a Wikipedia page. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's not much of a strategy. It's sort of just like, just like whatever interests me in the time. Like last weekend, it was just like chess. Like I was just like reading about chess for hours straight. But how, um, do, you, how do you skim it? I don't really skim it. I honestly just sort of read it. <laughs> But you said there's like a system to how it's written. Yeah, yeah. So, 
so like Wikipedia enforces very consistent language. So like imagine if you're reading a book and like every page of the book is written by a different author. Like imagine how slow like that process would be of, of cause you you're just like, like these little like words they're using and these like sentence structured things like are, are like breaking your flow as you're reading. But with Wikipedia's moderation like enforces such a consistent grammar and neutral language that like if you're just good at that style of authorship, you're just like able to consume so much knowledge. You just mean you can rip through it quicker because you're not stumbling over their syntax or anything. Exactly. You're able to just read it so much faster. Mar, you ever think about how differently your brain works than the average person? You know, a lot of people tell me that stuff. Uh, <laughs> I don't really think about it too much. I try not to, try not to compare myself. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely like, I definitely take a different approach to life than most of my peers. I think it's a, it's an amazing gift and a responsibility that you seem to be using well, but I, I came across, um, I don't know if it's on your website, but the, the purpose of coder and your, the, the project that, that you have going is to increase the quantity of coding pretty much. Like you want coders to code more, right? Yeah. What is it about coding that the world needs more of? So that's a good question. Um, sort of like why is software taking everything over and like yeah. exponentially growing and all these yeah. ideas and all, like all that. Um, I think, I think it's really this concept of infinite leverage. So basically when a, when a programmer writes a line of code and they write a function to do something, like think about someone who implements like who shaves like a hundred milliseconds off the Google search, like that line of code can be ran billions of times without the programmer doing any more work. It's so like a, you know, a good software engineer at Google can very easily shave. I don't want to say very easily because Google has big problems, but, you know, theoretically they could shave 60 years of human life in just like a few hours of really intelligently solving the problem. And um, there's just very, very few s skills, crafts. I, I can't even think of really any with that level of automation. You know, maybe like people management, maybe people management, you can sort of like direct people and especially if you're directing people who are writing code, you can, you can like sort of get that kind of leverage, but hmm. it's extremely rare. Is so essentially to make things more efficient, right? This is philosophical, but you ever think about like, is there a cap to efficiency? Like to a certain degree, I feel like me personally and maybe others don't know what to do with all the free time. You know, they say the future is going to be, we don't as humans have to work and food will just appear and we all have, we have our basic needs met. And then it's like, well, what do we do? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't know yeah, if you thought yeah. about this at all, but it's, it's interesting to me. Yeah, it is interesting. Um, so I, I guess from my perspective, I would think that everyone just becomes more artists in a way. Hmm. Like people just start doing things more for the, the intrinsic reason of doing it. Like, uh, like video games are a good example where most people aren't doing video games for some, extrinsic reward. In fact, there's extra extrinsic reasons to not play a lot of video games, but you sort of just do it for like the beauty of, of the act, like, you know, getting just like getting headshots and counter strike or whatever. It's just like, it's just a fun time. And so I really just hope that the world trends in a direction where people are just playing more and they're just like having more fun. And uh, I guess I would hope, I would hope that your life is more fun right now with all the free time that you have. I'm curious. I see a motorcycle helmet maybe behind you. What what oh, do you yeah, like to do? Yeah. What what do you like to do for fun, Amar? Uh yeah, I rode I rode a motorcycle for for a little bit. Um, for fun, like honestly, reading Wikipedia, Wikipedia pages for me one of the most fun things I can have. One of the things I can do. Uh, so I climb, I boulder, 
I uh, I bike a lot. I uh, cycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just like awesome. sort of just go around. Uh, recently, did like this like sixty mile route with like with a friend of mine. It was well, actually my co-founder Kyle. It's like nice. pretty insane. So yeah, we just I don't know. We just sort of do random things. We like travel a lot. We went to Yosemite a couple weekends ago. Do you take Sundays off? Um, it's a good question. Uh, and, uh, for me, like working doesn't really like start and stop anymore. It's, it's like sort of just like this, like continuous thinking and continuous, like crunching of your problems, you know? And, uh, cause like, I'm not really programming anymore. So it's not like I have to be at a computer to really be like working. And so I don't know, like if I had to think about the amount of time I really spend, like thinking about work, probably like 60 hours a week at this point. I've, I've recently tried to. I hit a point where I was working seven days a week, like, I don't know, 11 hours a day. And, uh, well, we had a kid, which is a force stop for that, but I've tried to devote one day a week and just answer the question. If I could do anything that I really truly enjoy in life, what would I do? Right. So like for me, it's going on a bike ride, taking a, a walk, starting a campfire, reading a book, what, you know, all these different things. Uh, but it's been like, it's, it's been a really good challenge for me to be like, Oh, you know, you work because you love it, but also because you want to make a living. But then it's like, what, what does that living actually look like? So anyway, that was a, that was a tangent, but it's, it's interesting that, you know, a hundred years ago, the metric for success was how little you were able to work. And now it's maybe as a result of special specialization, a measure of success is how much you're able to work, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I, I might actually disagree with that. I might actually say how little you can work is still like a good metric to live life by. But in the sense that you, as you say, you're, you're almost in a constant state of flow of solving these work, work related problems at the very least, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I guess like, I guess like working play too is like when, when you're sort of like playing at work that yeah. like, it's, it sort of like doesn't feel like you're working. So maybe yeah. that's like an important distinction. But um, but as far as like working like long versus like working smart, like if you're a software engineer, you can work for two hours and make more money than like a fry cook working for 20 hours. So there's, there's definitely still like a lot of ways that you can structure your life to where you're like actually not working very, very much. What are your, I, what are your goals with Coder? And then I also want to know just your personal goals in life. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, with Coder, like, we want to see a good outcome for the company, for for the team. Um, but, like, probably the primary thing we really want to do to society is is give software engineers this 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 platform, this ability to just be in this creative flow all day long. So just like just like someone's playing a video game all day long, having a blast. We want so we want that for software engineers, and we want that for software engineers, no matter the size of their organization, no matter if they're dealing with some like really. Byzantine security policies because because they're in like a 20 year old code base in the military like basically just like this universal idea of of, of software engineers and creative flow and then that's sort of like the success criteria for the company probably take us many many more years to hit it um personally you know that's that's like that that's like that's a, that's a deep question um it's not really really a financial goal for me um I sort of like don't really like establish like a line I have to hit. I just in general want to do good for the world. Um, like I just want to continuously live a life where I'm like serving other people 
and like my ego is as small as it can possibly be and if i can just carry that on as long as possible like i think i'm gonna be a happy person have your ego be as small as it can possibly be yeah why is that important um i, I think it's just something i've recognized in my life is that like um like when i feel like i'm working like for other people and like to serve like my team like i just like always am way happier like and I feel like a part, part of that too is like having the luxury of being able to do that and like not having to worry about yourself. Um, like sort of like lets you like really worry about other people. And I just find like that's just a way more pleasant way to live where every day like I can go to sleep and I can be like, I did good things today. <laughs> and I'm not like nervous about my contributions in society. I'm just like feeling really good about myself. Do you, and, do you take a lot of time to stop and reflect uh, on things about life? Yeah, yeah, I like, uh, yeah, I guess something I should have mentioned is like meditation is like super big for me, like mindful meditation. And it sort of sounded to me like you might do some of that on, on your Sundays. Yeah. Just like be present. Is this something that you're introduced to? I know that's big in the Austin tech world. Was that, is this something that you've been newly introduced to or have been doing for a while? Uh, I've been doing it for about three years now, just sort of like as a company, um, like sort of as it got more and more intense. And like, I just found myself really just like carrying like this debt. Like you just like end up carrying like emotional debt where you're like getting over leverage and you're like making all these like promises that you're not like able to keep. Like, and I feel like everyone probably goes through those periods. And I just wanted like, I just like, I just realized that I was just no way to live. And so like, I try to, I try to like meditate like every day and just like make sure I know like where I'm at with that, with the debt I have in the world. Like what things I haven't closed out. Do you have any role models or people you really admire, look up to? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I think Sam Harris. He's like, uh, I like, I love his app, Waking Up, and I love his conversations with people on like mindfulness and like altruism. Like, I think, I, I think he's probably like certainly, probably like my number one role model right now. Um, and then this is this kind of generic, but I like Joe Rogan a lot. I, I think he's, yeah. he's got such a broad amount of information from like the wildest people on his podcast. Um, I always say both of those two people I find, I find super interesting. So Sam Harris made a large argument for the metric of success. It was, oh man, I can't, maybe in May, uh, had I think a full conversation about it with someone discussing wealth inequality and talking about how like Zuckerberg works all day, every day. Right. And it's, I, I thought it was a really interesting point where it's like, man, it does seem that the trend is towards busyness. And that's like, you know, if, if you say, what are you up to today? Nothing as an adult, nobody, <laughs> nobody's oh, yeah. going to take you seriously. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually going home next week. And I, I've been telling people I'm just going to do nothing. And they don't really understand that what it means to actually do nothing. <laughs> yeah. But I, I totally, I totally value that. How, how much nothing do you have? Do you have in your life? Oh, I'm trying to increase it. I used to have, geez. Um, I, I used to work seven days a week and honestly, this is, it was a way I was raised where I was like, okay, you got to do more. And you know, we, I, I was boy scout. We go to boy scout camp and in a traditional week, you'd get four merit badges. And my dad was like, we're going to get 13. Right. <laughs> and it was, so we would just bend like kind of binge everything, which probably a lot of whatever I've been successful with certainly in football is a result of that. Um, but now I realize like, I've 
more and more been fortunate to have the realization that you did at age 12 of like, okay, I guess I've been doing a lot of this, not necessarily consciously, but at some level to like get more, whether it's awards or money, like, right. Like that's just kind of, I guess some way of me self-affirming myself. And then I realized how pointless that is. And so trying to answer this question of like, okay, what do I actually love doing? And it's, you know, a lot of it's serving my wife and being with my daughter and being out in nature. We live in Nashville, which is beautiful. I know Austin is too. And it's like, anyway, it's, it's, it's been a, a really interesting challenge, but again, it's like a constant battle against busyness. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's good. Like a hamster wheel, basically what you mentioned, like with awards and with money, Mm -hmm. um, you can just keep on going up and like, you always like get conditioned, I guess, to where you're at. It's definitely like a big part of life. The sooner you can like sort of break out of that, the better. Yeah. Um, and I guess, but it sounds like now you've like, you're like sort of out of it and you're like way more focused on like relaxation and balance and like other metrics. Yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, just like the, again, been fortunate enough to have the experience of, of having work that can be impactful. And so now it's, yeah that's like a really strong motivation, but it adds into the, it, it kind of increases the battle of, Oh, well I find a ton of meaning in this. So I need to do more of it, but no, that's not how it should be done. But I'm curious. So like, you know, your childhood experience, if you had a kid or maybe if you could do it again, is that how you do it again? Honestly, probably, I I probably not. Um, and it was pretty like uh, I probably describe myself as like quite depressed, like from like ages like twelve to like probably like nineteen, mm. probably due to like that like lack of like like socialization. So I would definitely like steer my kid down a more like generic route, and maybe they just like find like their success in business or whatever they do like later on in life. Um, you know, it's like it kind of like what you said about like that the hamster wheel of like getting awards or getting more money or any of that stuff. Like, like, I'm not actually any more happy because of like my wealth or my position. And like, even if I was like in a completely different position, but still like an artist in some way, I'd probably be the same amount as happy. And so, um, yeah, I would steer my kid down like a balanced life where he's like socializing, she's socializing, she's like playing an instrument, um, you know, nor- normal, normal kid stuff. <laughs> Balance, dude. That is, <laughs> that's a struggle. Do you play any music? Uh, no, I'm trying to get into it. I'm always trying to get into it, but, uh, I imagine it's like this other area of my brain. I can unlock to counterbalance the logic. Yeah. You starting with guitar or piano? I was, I was trying to start with like electronic music. Cause that's like sort of what I'm into. Really? But, uh, but I'm, I'm probably, I should probably start with the piano and like get the fundamentals down. <laughs> um, all right. I'm, I'm curious as you look back on everything you experienced, are there th- three lessons that you can come up with that you've either learned or been taught that have been valuable to you? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess like as far as just like things that should always be true in my life, um, like I, I need to always be meditating. Like you always need to be comfortable being alone with yourself basically. And like, ideally you can enjoy being alone with yourself for like many, many hours out of the day. You can just like sit and do nothing and not feel anxious, not like feel like angst. Um, I would say that's like like rule number one. But by nothing, you don't mean sit on your phone and scroll yeah. through social media. 
yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Like nothing and like any kind of thought line that you go down, you just say, no, I'm not doing anything right now. I'm just mm. purely being present. Wow. Um, I think, I think that's so important because I mean, the phone is really like distracting from your own like thoughts, right? At the end of the day. Mm -hmm. uh, like there's just, no one's like getting anything from like browsing Twitter or whatever. You can have really like growing yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that that's like rule number one. And I, I don't even know if I want to give other rules to like diminish that one because I think it's just so important. But if I had to give another one, it's um, it's just like always like rigorously searching for where you're wrong and like really knowing like what you don't know and knowing what you do know. And that just leads to a much more efficient and like way less stressful life. I'm um, just like, you know, probably like as a kid, I was like way more arrogant than I am today. And um, I'm just thinking about like, there's a lot of people who can't like admit like if they don't understand something and they like sort of like have this like impositing and they like try to understand it or whatever or pretend to. And um, I've just noticed my life is a lot more happier when I'm just like asking myself, am I hiding from like any kind of truth or I'm like hiding from any question that I should be asking. Mm. So combining both of those two things, meditation, I think you'll like minimize your ego and live like a very happy, empathetic life. What's one area of life that you don't excel at? I'm curious. Is there anything that you're like, oh, I'm terrible at this? I'm probably really, really bad with a woman. <laughs> In fact, this is, this is a complete truth. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like the worst person, like with a woman you could possibly imagine. Huh. Um, but you know, I'm working on that slowly but surely. Well, that's interesting. I was just actually speaking with someone about how I have zero game when it comes to like romance. I don't freaking know how I married my wife, but my game, if there was any, was the ability to be introspective or spark introspection and like just the, 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 I guess, deep conversations to, yeah, to yeah. dumb it down. And I do have to say that this is one of the most insightful, I think, podcast that I'm going to have to digest interviews that I've done. Um, so I appreciate that, man. I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed with you as a person, with what you've built, with your mission behind it. And I really enjoyed this. I hope you did too. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. And yeah, I definitely, definitely enjoyed this. Yeah. Look forward to staying in touch. Yeah, for sure, man.